What is going on, Suns fans? Justin here, and with me, as always, is my podcasting partner, Paul. Let's do this. And welcome to this episode of Fan of the Flames, the OG Phoenix Suns podcast that is made for the fans. That's you guys by the fans. That is us. Intro and outro music provided by Park and Main. Check them out over at parkandmainband.com. You can give us a follow or hit us up on Twitter. I'm at so says J Paul. At Dervish of Whirl. And the pod is at Fan the Flames NBA. And the Bright Side of the Sun podcast network is available at brightsideofthesun.com and on all podcasting platforms. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Okay. All that's out of the way. I don't know why I even bother doing that every time from now, you know, at this point because, well. You don't know. You don't know. Yeah, exactly. I mean, if you listen to podcasts, pretty much every podcast asks you to do all that stuff. Is that the case? I don't listen to podcasts. I listen to three podcasts. I won't say who they are because I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. Maybe three and a half. You can figure that out. Anyway. It's not that hard to figure out. So we're recording actually pretty much immediately after the end of the Raptors game. And I will say this right off the bat. At least the Suns showed much better effort than we saw over the weekend in the games against Detroit and Golden State. Yeah, I mean that that's that's just something that's been an issue for the Suns for years of like they kind of play to their competition a little mm-hmm. bit. Like if they're playing against a team they they don't under they don't know how to like step on somebody's throat. Right. Like right. It, they they play down to their competition, they play up to their competition. Uh yeah. you you're right. And I think that certainly you know, is indicated by the, the the wins and losses they've had this year. And and this is something that I, I haven't looked this up to double check this and I'm going off memory here, but I want to say that against teams that have a worse record than them this year, they are like 10 and 6 or something like that, which sure, okay, you have a winning you you know, a winning record against them, but it should be better than 10 and 6. I, I I would like it to be better than 10 and 6. And then you also take into account then that means at what 24 wins right now that they have 14 wins against teams that have better records than them. Yeah. And obviously that's a losing winning percentage mm-hmm. overall but still you're railing off more wins against teams you know that uh, that are better than you than against teams that are worse than you although when you're towards you're the bottom of the league f- i guess that kind of would happen anyway just based on sheer numbers because hmm. eh, hmm. like theory because if you're playing like you're playing every team at least twice so um you know and the suns are near the bottom of the league but they're not that far near the bottom. I mean, there, there's like a good handful of teams below them, unlike previous years. Um, so there's more than enough teams that they should be able to, you know, beat on a regular basis or like, you know, at the worst case scenario, it's close, but the, like they should have been able to beat the Pistons. Yeah. I I mean, I'm sorry that the Pistons team that basically jettisoned every good player they have, except for Derrick Rose, who's now hurt. Um, the Suns should have been able to run roughshod over that team. Yeah, well, it didn't help that Derrick Rose had a game like he was, you know, it was 2013 yeah. again. Um, he, he played phenomenal in that game. And, oh, you can touch on those games a little because, like every Suns fan out there, the, the disappointment that I think we both felt was just the the lack of effort. You know, you, you watch those games and you didn't see the intensity you didn't see 
players who were playing like they wanted to win, except for, I'll say, in the last like couple of minutes of each game. And that's a little bit too, too little too late, uh, particularly uh, when we look at the Detroit game. And like I said, Derrick Rose was playing the way that he was. Um, you know, a couple of interesting tidbits from those, those two games, uh, perhaps not interesting in a positive way, more so in a negative way, but interesting nonetheless. Yeah. So versus Detroit, they shot 60% overall and 39% from three-point range. Okay. That game, based on basketballreference.com, it was only the fifth time ever that a team has lost a game while shooting 60% or better overall and 39% or better from three while at the same time holding their opponent to under 50% overall. Fifth time that's ever happened, only the second time it's happened since 1992. Okay. Can you guess the other time that it happened, Paul? No. Yeah, I, I wouldn't think so, but I wouldn't bring it up if it wasn't something Suns that happened related. to the Suns. Last <laughs> year against the Spurs, same of thing course. happened in a two-point loss. So, so two times in the last 20, oh, excuse me, 30, what did I say, 92? Okay, 27 years, 28 years, give or take. <clears throat> Is that math right? Sure. CPA, all right. Two times it's happened, both times to the Suns. So, mm. hey, Whatever. Sons like to get in the record books. Hey, one way or the other. Make it, making history, baby. Making history. Um, you know, the other thing that you look at that Detroit game, they shot 12 for 17 from the free throw line. The Suns lead the league in free throw shooting and pick a game like that to put up a stinker, lose by two points, and miss five free throws. By contrast, tonight they shot, I think, 24 or 25, and I think missed four total. Yeah. So you get a shooting night like that, that game might turn uh, a, a little bit differently. We won't talk about the questionable basket interference call from, I forgot what referee it was. Apparently I blame refs too much, I've, I've been told. I don't know. I just like to see people do their jobs efficiently and accurately and correctly. Is that too much to ask? No. All right. Um, Golden State game came out nice. Scored yeah. 41 in the first quarter. Then combine to score 40 in the next two quarters. Well, I mean, and that that's another thing that I've noticed about the Suns is they've had some good, like, first halves or, like, they'll get get out the gate strong. Like, they did so on the in the Raptors game tonight. Both both, they, both they, the last two games. They Raptors were game up tonight by and double digits. Raptors at, game tonight and Golden State the other night. Both games they had 17-point leads. Yeah. 17. And then they just come off the gas or something. I don't know what it is. But they let the other team back in, and not just back in, but let them just flip it. And it's it's frustrating to watch because, like, I don't know if they, like, get lackadaisical or they, they're just a streaky team. So it's like, okay, if they come out hot, they're going to go cold and for, for a period of time. And the question is, can they weather the storm? And clearly not because apparently when they start going cold with shots, they stop defending. Well, and I think the problem also is when they when the shots stop falling, they seem to step outside of the system that Monty has wanted to put in place that we've been hearing about since before the season started, this point five offense, right? Yeah. Um, and, and I'll use tonight the Toronto game as an example. Now the Suns, at the end of the night, totaled 30 assists. Right. Fantastic. You like seeing those types of assists. Yeah. I think they had... 39 baskets so that's a pretty good ratio of assists to right. basket score right first half they had 21 assists yeah 
First half, they shot 55.6% overall. Second half, obviously, Mm. math major, nine assists. They shot 35% overall. Um, And I mentioned this before we started recording, and we'll get into Devin Booker a little bit later in this episode, but Booker in particular, but also, you know, other players, they, they seem to start pressing when they kind of get their backs up against the wall. Um, this was something that I saw or we saw with Booker, you know, a couple of years ago when he kind of came out of the gates really poorly mm-hmm. and then picked it up and started turning around. And then we've seen the, the, the great of great side of Devin Booker ever since then. Right. I feel like, you know, ever since really getting named to the all-star team, it's almost like he's taking, trying to take it upon himself to prove that he truly was worthy of it. Now, Tonight, he still had 10 assists, and that's what we like to see. But he had, again, seven of those in the first half. Um, and and you see then in the second half, look at Booker. I think he was two for eight or something like that from the field in the second half. Uh, I think it affects the game all around because the team starts playing outside of this system that's been put in place that works. And maybe it's, well, clearly it's something psychological, but at the end of the day, you see the offense operate differently, at least from my perspective, when they when the team starts to struggle and they stray away from that. And I think they need to have more discipline and stay within that system because obviously it works. If it's not working for a short period of time, don't panic. Just stick with it because, again, we've seen that when it's clicking, it's 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 a positive. Right. And I, and similarly, I think like you kind of you see it with eight and a little bit, too. I mean, or not a little bit, a lot bit. Um, where like he's, he's, he cycles from being like aggressive to being finesse and he's so much better when he's aggressive mm-hmm. and not that he doesn't have touch cause he does have touch, but I mean, watching tonight's tonight's game, I mean, how many, how many baskets, like if he just jumped an inch higher and just even like a soft dunk, put it in. You know, that's a guaranteed bucket versus here's this little finger roll or whatever that like spins around the rim and like falls out. It's like, just put it in the damn hole. I don't need you to give me a a windmill dunk, but just you're the tallest person on the floor by like many inches. First of all, that's what she said. Going back a little farther, <laughs> you know, put, put just put it in the, anyway. I got okay. you. Um, <laughs> but. No, I, I see where you're coming from, and something, and I haven't looked at this statistically or anything, but I, I, I just have this feeling. It seems to me like Aiton, when he's against competition where you think he should be dominating more, like smaller guys like tonight. Toronto didn't have Surge, didn't have Gasol, right? They really didn't right. have any size down low. Um, it's almost like he gets the yips when he has smaller guys around him because he has too clear of a path and he tries to do this kind of cute stuff, right? Yeah. And a lot of times it works out just fine because obviously Aiden's an efficient scorer. He puts up high percentage shooting on, on a regular basis. But then nights like tonight where, like you, like you referenced, a lot of balls just kind of rolling off the rim. Things that, shots that you would expect him to make, he's not making. He's got to flip it and be like, okay, well... And like Eddie Johnson said this a number of times during the broadcast, go into the guy's chest, just 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 do it. And I think Aiton, it's almost like he's so big and so physically imposing, imposing 
and gifted that he's worried that he's going to, you know, draw a bunch of offensive fouls. You know what? If he does, so be it. But at the end of the day, I think he's going to be more inclined, ref to be more inclined to give him the benefit of the doubt when he's down low and going up against smaller guys. And it's less necessary for him to try to finesse it. Again, it's, it seems like he performs better when he has to deal with guys that are more, at least from a physical perspective, should be more difficult to deal with. Right. Well, and I think this goes back to, I think there was an article, it was like a week or so ago, um, and like Mikhail was quoted in it, and he was talking about how he talked to Aiton, or Aiton was saying what Mikhail told him. I can't remember the specifics, but basically Mikhail told him is like, Book's going to get his. Book's going to do his thing. His thing is efficient. His thing is smooth. His thing, it, it's not going to get the team going. It just exists. When Aiton is aggressive, that creates energy. That's also kind of one of the things, like, why miss losing Ubre really hurts. Just because he brings those energetic plays like like something about like a like a big dunk or a big block or whatnot just kind of gets the rest of the team like yeah right and if Aiden's gonna play his finesse game he's not giving that and like that so that energy transfers and the rest of the team kind of slacks off a little bit too and and what happens happens, and we're where we're at. Yeah, and I think that's you know, speaking of Uber, obviously we know now that he had the the, the scope today. They said they're going to reevaluate him in a month. And at this point, five weeks left in the season. Right. It's <laughs> like okay, I hope the reevaluation is. It looks good. You'll see him next year. Yeah. You know, I mean, I think that's what it boils down to there. But. With his absence, you do need somebody to step up and kind of be that galvanizing force for the team. Right. Ricky Rubio is a you know is a floor general type guy, good vision, but he's not going to be your vocal leader leader out there, your emotional leader out there. Aiton, I don't think is at a point in his career, even assuming he has it in, within his personality, but I don't think he's at a point in his career where you would expect him to kind of step out and be the vocal leader of this team, particularly since he's not the focal point of the offense. And that's where, again, we, we you kind of look to Devin Booker and hope that he can be that galvanizing force on the team. But as he struggles, it's not something that is really, you know, coming to fruition. And, and Booker's, I don't think, ever really been that kind of super overly emotional, like fiery no. guy, except for when he's... Getting fouled. Getting fouled and <laughs> complaining and... and, and most of the time, justifiably so. I mean, he took a shot in the mouth tonight from Lowry, inadvertently, sure, and he gets called for the foul when he's bleeding from the face. Whatever. But the, the, I, I think Kelly Oubre's importance to this team has been very much demonstrated over the past three games. Um, I, I think that the performances against Detroit and against Golden State very much had a lot to do with the team knowing that they're going to be without Ubre on the court for the remainder of the season. Right. And right, wrong, or indifferent, I mean, sure, we can sit here and go, well, they're professionals, they have to be, you know, more headstrong, and that's fair. But at the same time, when you lose somebody like that on your team, especially right after 
the team for the most part seemingly got healthy, and yeah, we haven't talked about Aiton going yeah. down tonight. Right. Um, it's it's got to be demoralizing, uh, and 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 it's unfortunate because again they finally had almost a full complement of 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 players, uh, and and a full enough complement to see what this team as a whole truly would be capable of, and then right like that, it's gone. Yep. It's the story of the season to an extent. It really is. You know, you know what, you know what I think is kind of like a microcosm of how this sun season has gone. The fact that four nights ago or whatever it was, Derek Rose destroys the suns, right? Yeah. Wins that game, takes over that game at the end, single handedly, make sure that Detroit doesn't relinquish that lead. A few days later, Jordan McRae gets waived by Washington and news breaks that the Suns are going to put in a waiver claim for him, presumably going to end up picking him up. Derrick Rose gets hurt, and now Detroit's like, who's one spot ahead of the Suns in the waiver order, is apparently contemplating now picking up McCray. You know? It's like, a guy kills us, and then he goes down, and then the guy that we want to pick up might not be available for the Suns because of the injury to the guy who just killed us. I mean, I just feel like that is just like almost like poetic in terms of looking at the Suns season as a whole and then seeing something like that happen. And hopefully yeah. the Suns... Especially because the Suns didn't make moves previously. And it's like the one remote kind of move that they thought about trying to do, somebody like like, like screws them over. Yeah, like some some weird freakish event happens. And, and, and Rose isn't even going to be out for that long. I think maybe a couple weeks. But, well, they need, they need bodies to fill. But we'll see. That'll be determined tomorrow, I think, at... Three o'clock Arizona time. We'll know whether or not uh, the Suns are going to pick him up or not, and um, well, we'll we'll see. Not that Jordan McC- Jordan McRae, nice player. Not that he's a team altering player, um, but it certainly would be nice to not have to run eight man rotations like the Suns did here tonight. And on that note, let's take a quick break, and we'll get into talking a little bit more about Devin Booker and maybe. Maybe a little more Jordan McCray. No, probably not. As we started getting into before the break there, one thing that I think is quite apparent to a lot of Suns fans, if not all of us, is that Devin Booker has not been himself, I guess you can say, over the past few weeks. Um, over on brightsideofthesun.com, John Voita, who is one of the guys from the Suns Report, uh, wrote an article Going into the wear and tear that Devin Booker has been going through this year, the physical wear, the the emotional wear, the mental wear on him, and how that might be, you know, contributing to the 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 slump that we've seen Booker in as of late, and you know, a few points that John brought up in that article, um, you know, primarily you look at. The minutes that Booker's been playing this year. He's playing per game the most minutes that he's averaged in his career so far at 36 a game, which is fifth in the league. Uh, he's behind only Dame, Harden, Lowry, and Westbrook. And those are guys who obviously have been in the league longer, are more used to that type of beating uh, their body takes and putting those types of minutes. And, and in addition to that, Looking at those four guys in front of him, he's played more games than all of those guys. Yeah. Um, in total minutes, he's sixth in the league. And you look a little bit deeper into it. Um, this is something I didn't really even think about or 
realize was tracked by NBA.com, but they keep track of the total distance a player travels in games. Uh, and there's, if, there's so much that those, whatever that, uh, those camera systems that they have now can track. Right. It's pretty, pretty, pretty interesting. I mean, they, and they, they break it down and I, I'm, I don't worry, I won't go into it this much detail, but they break it down by, you know, offensive distance, defensive distance, things like that. But Booker in terms of distance traveled is second in the league only to CJ McCollum. Um, and I think you get a lot of that from, you know, Booker plays off the ball. So he's running off screens, things like that. And you also have Booker this season putting forth, forth more of a defensive effort. And I think that's also something that, you know, is, is racking up that, that distance. Um, and on top of that, you know, we talked last episode some about the Suns and their ability to draw fouls and how they lead the league in fouls drawn per game. Well, that probably means it shouldn't come as a surprise, but Devin Booker is second in the NBA in fouls drawn uh, uh, total. Um, and I think he's uh, somewhere in the top three or four in per game. Um, in fact, he might be top per game anyway. But total I fouls. I'm pretty sure Harden's top per game. Fair enough. Total fouls, he's second in the league behind, I believe, Shy Gilders Alexander. Uh, but you put all that together, the minutes that he's playing, the fact that he's only missed, I believe, three games so far this year. Which is, for him, impressive. Sure. Um, and, you know, the, Knock on wood. the amount that he's traveling in games, not the violation traveling, but physically traveling, and then the beating that comes with drawing all those fouls, I think it certainly explains or at least gives gives some 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 uh, context as to how Booker might be getting worn down you know at this juncture when it comes to you know the emotional fatigue the 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 whole thing with Kobe I, I get that people mourn different yeah. ways but at the same time based on what I've heard it's not like they were super tight I think it's probably more of a physical thing and and mentally again I think that Booker's sitting out there trying to press perhaps a little too much especially when the Suns start digging themselves in a hole because he wants to prove he wants to succeed. Yeah. Any thoughts there, Paul? I think you laid it out pretty well. Honestly, I was just letting you go. You have no, no input to, to Devin Booker being worn down besides that. Well, I mean, he's, I, I, I agree with what you said. I mean, he's, he's been the focal point of the offense and he's been the focal point for the last couple seasons. And it's honestly like I was listening to your your favorite guy Bill Simmons today, mm-hmm. and he like he went in on Booker again for like like and he picked out one game where he didn't have the greatest stat line, and I'm like, really, bro? It's what guys can't have an off game. He had an, he had an off game. He's you know he's tired, but like he's kind of made like that. This one game was representative of who he actually is as a player, and that he can't be a number one option on a team. So basically, Bill Simmons is a big fat flip flopper because didn't he kind of change his opinion about Booker a few weeks ago? Wasn't he one of the guys saying that he should be an all star? I think he was. Yeah, I don't know. It was. It just seemed really like. It was very petty Mm -hmm. and it was for a guy who 
you know, follows the league as a whole and has, you know, it's fallen off a little bit in recent years, but has overall decently good insight onto the league to pick out, to be, to pick out one game stat line and make that your the justification of your argument when it's not even remotely representative of his season and also completely avoids the context of the situation was just, it was kind of pathetic. I like, I like this. I like, I like the fact that you just called Bill Simmons pathetic. I, I thought, I thought in your eyes he could do no wrong. Paul. I never know when, why did I say it? I just enjoy, I enjoy listening to him. I honestly, I enjoy listening to him talk about stuff other than basketball more so, but that's me. Fair enough. Fair enough. I mean, but not football. Cause I hate the Patriots. And, uh, also fair enough. At, at the unless unless Philip Rivers signs with them, then I might become a Patriots fan. Probably not, but you know what I mean. Um, I, I just think it's it's exacerbating to be a Suns fan, mm-hmm. and I guess that's not exactly news. Yeah, but for some reason, this season has been. I feel like emotionally, this season's been worse than past seasons because you had the hot start. And then you have the fall off, and then you have guys starting to get healthy. Then you and lose. And started to level off. Yeah, yeah, and it's just like, and why? Like, yeah, we've said it before. We'll say it again. We can't have nice things. We can't. But you know what? I'll le- uh, that leads me into a little something else. Let's talk about Sun's Twitter, shall we? Oh, oh, it's time for that. I, I, I just. I, I'm just gonna stay silent then. Son's Twitter, it's like a, it, it, it's like, like having a bipolar like girlfriend, like the 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 ups and downs that you experience and you see people go through, it's just mind boggling to me, and maybe it's just maybe that's me because as as much as I am an optimist and I am, mm-hmm. I also never get too high, I never get too low. Some people might call that a problem. I call it a, a talent, right? Well, isn't that what Rubio says? Never too high, never too low. Is does he good? Yeah. Good for him. That, that that should be the case. But you know, obviously, over the weekend, this is where a lot of this stems from. There was just outcry from from pretty much everybody out there about about the Suns, and I, I stayed out because, from my perspective, look, what are we? We're fans. We're mm-hmm. fans of this team, right? This team's going to have its ups. This team's going to have its downs. I mean, depending on how far back you go as a fan, and I go far, far back. And I know yeah. it's kind of funny because I don't know if you listened to Dan's pod yet. But, I have not. But he talked about how people compare themselves and their fandom and whatnot. So for the record, I'm not trying to do that. I'm just saying, if you go back far enough as a Suns fan, you have experienced a lot of highs. Yeah. Never the mm-hmm. highest high. Never the highest thanks high. To, thanks to John Paxton. But still... Jim Paxson. Which one? Which Paxson is it? See? It's called a repressed memory. Anyway, it's Jim. Um, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but we've been mired in this 10 years of, of, of low. Something that Suns fans obviously aren't used to, especially coming out of the Nash era. But at the end of the day, again, we're fans. This is our team. Mm-hmm. You can be upset about your team, but I feel like people are almost like to the point where they're saying they're done with the team. They're, you know, this team's never going to change. It's always the same thing. Yet you miss the forest from the trees when you do that because this team has improved a lot over the season. 
Now, we could look back, a pessimist could look back and say, well, they almost made the playoffs that one year and it, and, and it, and it pushed them way back. But this is a completely different process that we're involved in right now. You have to look and see the improvements that the team has made, the improvements that individual players have made, the fact that we have a core in our starting unit when healthy, that is, as everyone has discussed, one of the, if not the best starting unit, unit plus minus wise or net rating wise in the NBA. And if you want to enjoy that aspect of it, then you have to deal with the negative aspect of it. Right. And at some point in time, God, please God, before I die, the Suns are going to win a title, right? And I think a lot of fans are going to look back and think, hey, you know, went through these lows, but I stuck by them. But when I see people out there just basically like lambasting the Suns being like, oh, this, this, this team isn't changing. Oh, it's Robert Sarr's fault. He has to go blah, blah, blah. Shut the fuck up, okay? Like, either be a fan of the team or don't. Don't get me wrong. If you want to voice displeasure, they don't put forth effort. Fine. You know, they didn't over the weekend. I have no problem admitting that. But to say that that's what this team is and that's what this organization is, I think is just ludicrous. And it's like there's never a balance in between how, again, high or low Suns Twitter gets. Maybe Suns fans in general. Maybe it's not just Twitter. I don't know. I don't have a lot of Suns conversations outside of Twitter and with you. But... (laughs) Mostly because I'm in a house of three women and or three females and four if you count my dog. But none of which like basketball. None of which like well, my oldest daughter kind of mm. does, so I got a little hope there. Um, but at the end of the day, if you don't want to be a Suns fan, don't be a Suns fan. Right. But don't 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 shove it down my my and and I okay I can mute you on Twitter whether whatever yeah. the heck I'm going to do, but. Nobody cares if you're so upset that you don't want to be a Suns fan anymore. Just don't be a Suns fan. Shut up, move on, and get out of all of our lives. Okay. Is that too much? <laughs> There's a little much. Just, um, I mean, I, I get where you're coming from, and I get there's definitely a, um, you know, the this season, like, if peop- everybody had the ability to go back to the summer – and just like keep that mentality of like this is what we're shooting for because like pretty much everybody was kind of in line of like somewhere between high twenties, low thirties, right? And wins. And we're still potentially on track for that, right? Um, you know, it might be a little tough, you know, with Ubre gone and potentially, hopefully, Aiton's not out for too long, if at all, right? Um, but. You know, we had a baseline, but then, like you said, the highs and the lows of the season just, you know, we couldn't exist in that never too high, never too low mentality as a collective. And it made having early highs made the subsequent lows that much worse. Right. Because it's like, because hope springs eternal. But once that hope is dashed for people who have been mired in the muck for a while, it just crashes so much harder. And that's what seems like this season's been like. I mean, I'm I'm looking forward to next season that cuz we've been I, saying that for so many years. I know that, but at the same time it's this season, looking back, when we at the end of this season, when we look back at it, I think we'll be able to say, 
don't know if we'll call it a success, but at the very least, it's an improvement. Sure. Which, and it's something to build on. Right. The, the, the NBA isn't like... I mean, we're NFL, not the Minnesota Timberwolves. And, and the NBA <laughs> isn't like the NFL, where you so so regularly have a team that could finish last one year and finish first the next year. Right. There, there's, there's a process. There's not really a reloading in the NBA. I mean... Look at look at storied franchises. Look at the Knicks. They've been garbage oh, for a while. Look at the Lakers well, until the, until I was the past- I was gonna, I was going to bring up the Knicks because like your entire argument about like Sarver and whatnot is like that is exactly what the Knicks fan base has been screaming for longer than Sarver's been owner of the Suns. Yeah, yeah. Sarver though has never had you know a loved Phoenix son from the past arrested in their home arena like Charles Oakley or, or had the number one fan of the team kicked out or had the number one fan of the team kicked out a la Spike Lee. Yeah. Or had a president of basketball operations who got mired in a sexual assault scandal. Right. So let's not, let's not go comparing Robert Sarver to James Dolan is my point. Okay. Okay. But at the end of the day, look, it has been an improvement this year. Yeah, there have been these terrible lows, but there have been some solid highs. I mean, the Mavs game a few weeks back, the Jazz game just recently, and you look at the players that they have, there's more talent on this team right now, notwithstanding some of the lows we've seen than we've seen in the past. And then you look at the young talent even, I mean, Cam Johnson, as a draft pick, got lambasted by, by, by the pundits. He had a great game tonight, has been coming along, and I think is going to end up being one of the best shooters in the league if he's not already there. Um, and that's you know not even looking at the starting lineup, which, as we already referenced earlier, has been one of the, if not the best starting lineup in the league. It's a matter of putting the pieces together. You know, You have that first wave that's kind of there. Now you have to fill out what is going to be the remainder of that group because we know that certain guys like Sarich, like Baines, like Frank, quite possibly, are in all likelihood not going to be back next year. So this Javon, season... Elliot Kobo, basically the entire bench except for Cam and Ty. Right, and and this season really is James Jones's first full season as the GM. Right. He's only barely put his fingerprints on this team. And this offseason is going to be very telling in terms of where this team's going to go. And they're going to be one of the few teams that has a decent amount of cap space that can go out there and start looking at, at certain players, which we'll get into next episode. Yeah. All right. So anything else, Paul, before we wrap up this episode of Fanning the Flames? Uh, no, I think we got it covered. All right. Well, then, like we always say here on Fanning the Flames, we do appreciate you guys listening. You can find me on Twitter. I'm at so says Jay. Paul is at Dervis of World, and the pod is at Fan the Flames NBA. Just keeping you on your toes. And until next time, depending on when you're listening, have yourself a good morning, good afternoon, or good evening. Good day. Just